1: welcome to the break podcast brought to you by Eurosport at the Betfred World Snooker Championship where we've witnessed some of the most incredible moments in the sports history. A remarkable match with Kyron Wilson beating Anthony McGill and an amazing comeback from Ronnie O'Sullivan who beat Mark Selby. We'll be looking back on both matches and also looking ahead to the final. And late Thursday night we found out the fans will be returning to the Crucible this weekend. Coming up an exclusive interview with Jason Ferguson the chairman of the WPBSA with more on that surprise news uh, on the show today I'm joined by Neil Foles Eurosports ace pundit commentator and former player and of course Eurosport commentator Philip Studd who had well you've had the most bizarre day of all times with those two matches you're on duty and wow where do we start (laughs)
0: Uh, I've no idea, to be honest (laughs) with you. I mean, you could write a book, couldn't you, about those two matches, and it would be a pretty thick tome, the kind of tome that if you could stand on top of it, you'd reach your top shelf. I mean, there were so many extraordinary moments in both matches, and for O'Sullivan and Selby to actually almost match the drama in different ways from the first semi semi-final was quite an achievement because McGill against Wilson, and particularly the final frame, just beg of belief. It was one of those things that you could not have made it up. You know, if you were deciding to make a snooker drama for television and you went to the makers of the programme and said, Look, this is what I'd like to do, they'd say, Well, come on, let, let let's try and at least base this in reality. You know, we, we have to have some sense of, of grounded logic to this. I mean, it defied all logic. It was quite remarkable you had to see it to believe it
1: well you had to see that final frame to believe it because if you if you just saw the scoreline Neil with uh, Anthony McGill and Kyron Wilson I know you put a tweet out that it was the most incredible frame that you, you've ever watched and I guess you just couldn't really explain to anyone could you unless you were there watching it yourself
2: no uh, people said to me well obviously you've forgotten about the 85 final uh, which of course I haven't done because uh, You know, that was uh, also incredible. But, you know, going on all these years, it wasn't just the fact that, I mean, that final went down to the black in 85. There was more to it with this. You know, it was a question of how the frame ever got to the stage. It did. I'll never know. I mean, Kyron Wilson actually went in off, don't forget, at one point when... Uh, McGill couldn't win, and then they had all those situations uh, with um, playing up and down to try and pot the red in the middle. Just keep playing the same shot, and they both had to keep playing it. Someone was going to get it in the end. And then I'd... we
1: saw McGill conceding 43 points, nine attempts, a new record for one frame at the Crucible, 186 points in the frame.
2: Yeah, and the miss rule uh, came into question there, although I thought you know, Brendan Moore applied it perfectly. He He, got, he, he did his job. Um, so there's no criticism there. There was another thing that happened, which I don't know if anyone's forgotten about, but actually at the end of it, Philip, McGill was really unlucky, wasn't he? When he got it snookered behind, I think, the pink on the green, he was clearing up there at the end to win, and that that seems to have gone unnoticed, but that actually was probably as significant as all the other stuff that was going on, because that was his moment to win the match.
0: Absolutely. I mean, Wilson had McGill by the short and curlies and then somehow contrived to see the cue ball drop into the left-centre pocket, which allowed McGill the chance to steal the frame, which he looked for all the world as though he was going to do. And the one place he didn't want to land was smack behind the pink when he was clearing up. And that was actually his moment to win. As we know, ultimately, he lost in the most heartbreaking of circumstances. And it wasn't just heartbreaking for him. Actually, it was very emotional for Karen Wilson because although he was desperate to win, he didn't want to win in the way he eventually did.
1: It was extraordinary scenes, uh, really. And I think what we, we witnessed was fantastic sportsmanship, you know, after a brutal, epic battle, you know, over an hour for deciding frame, a match that ended with both players shaking hands. And you could see with that green, it was just extraordinary. You know, Wilson played out of the snooker. It went in. He looked sick, didn't he? Despite well, being in the final.
2: Yeah. And the interesting thing is, I have Kyron Wilson as one of these players, a bit like Peter Hebden. If you say, well, if someone could clear the colours to save your life, you'd choose them. But actually, Kyron Wilson could not pot a ball at the end. He missed quite an easy green. He'd missed a red in the middle, which was unmissable. He was absolutely gone, and he couldn't win the frame. He couldn't win it. The only way he could win it was by a fluke on in off. And I'm not criticising him because I think, I don't know, I think McGill looked the stronger, funnily enough. But, you know, and Kyron is a genuine guy. You know, he's been sort of poker-faced all the way through, Uh, you you can't get a read out of him. But after the game, he, you know, had a little bit of a cry in the same way when he lost in the Masters Finally, did. You know, I think sometimes these guys that are like that, the emotion has to go somewhere and it all came flooding out, you know. And good luck to him in the world final. No one deserves it more. Great lad, wonderful family.
1: And I thought that exchange at the end actually was was quite touching. The fact that they did shake each other's hands. I think he was asked about, you know, if he was going to be fined for shaking hands. He said, sometimes in life you have to look at the occasion and turn a blind eye. I think we both deserved each other's respect at that moment. And, I mean, he couldn't have summed it up better.
0: And the other thing I would just say about that final session is I thought McGill played absolutely outstandingly well almost from the beginning of it to the end of it. You know, he, he... Played to a level which I haven't seen him play before. And under the most extreme pressure, you know, Wilson made a big break right at the start of the final session to lead by three. But McGill was aggressive. He went into the Reds. He took on the long pots. He was getting them. And he was playing with a real carefree abandon, but in a controlled way, you know, in the biggest session of his life, the chance to get to the world final. And remember, he's had two very indifferent seasons, ranked down at 39 when he arrived at qualifying. He has taken his game, I think, today, even though he's come out second best, to a whole new level. And it can only bode well for him in in the future.
1: Yeah, he's had an an incredible tournament. And obviously, we'll be talking about that green and so many moments in that final frame. Afterwards, we saw when he potted that green, Kyron Wilson was in absolute shock at what had just happened.
3: Just mental match, mental, um, mental decider. I'm gutted it's obviously ended the way it has you know, it's not nice to to sort of send someone home in such a big stage. You know, on a fluke, I just couldn't believe what was happening. You know, I I'd, I'd sort of managed to find something from somewhere and pull back to a decider, held myself together through the break, and then, you know, Mister Mister Silly took my eye off a of red, focusing on position, and then um, played a great snooker where I thought that had won me the won me the match. And you know, if it had finished there, you know, it'd be a different story with the way I'm feeling, but. Yeah, and then I went in off on the red, kicking it in the middle. I just couldn't believe what was happening. It was just mental. We're two young lads that have grown up together. So for me, it was great that we were competing in the semi-final. And I just wish that it didn't sort of end the way it did. But these things happen. So maybe it was just my turn. Lady Luck was on my side.
1: We've talked extraordinary scenes, incredible, remarkable, Uh, mental. (laughs) I think he said a few times there.
3: I can
2: remember the very first podcast we did on this series, Jimmy White said, blood, sweat and tears. Well, for the second year in a row, we've had tears. Don't forget David Gilbert last year, who thought that that semi-final could have been surpassed by two on the same day. The match with Kyron, the one thing I'll say about him, right, I think everything he said there he meant. There was nothing that was just for show, pretending to, to be upset. Trust me, I think he was emotionally drained.
1: Absolutely, I think we all were and little do we know we'd have to go through it all again uh, in our next match, which we'll talk about. Nobody would have wanted it to end that way as we've just heard from uh, Kyron Wilson and clearly heartbreak for Anthony McGill. This is what he had to say about the deciding frame afterwards. Yeah, I had everything. I had a uh, good snicker, drama, length, you know, it to, took like an hour. So yeah, I had everything. don't feel like I've really done anything that was drastically my fault. Just a half fought frame and Kyron got it.
3: What did you say to Kyron at the very end there?
1: I said that match deserves a handshake so I just shook his hand and you know, he was very apologetic obviously
3: for flipping the, the green but it's not his fault it's just the way the balls go. Yeah, what can you say? A lot of pride in my performance and uh, hopefully what and upwards.
1: Well, commiserations to Anthony McGill but uh, you know, well done to him. It's been a an incredible tournament for him, but it's going to be very, very, very hard, I'd imagine, to get over uh, that match. And well done to uh, Kyron Wilson, who's booked his place in the final, and he will play Ronnie O'Sullivan. Um, wow. Uh, can we use mental again, please?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, with a capital M. I mean, Neil said in the closing commentary that uh, there was method in his madness. There was quite a bit of madness in his method as well at times this evening, but we saw every facet of O'Sullivan's extraordinary character in that final session, didn't we? Brilliance that I think no other snooker player who's ever played could actually reach. But also at times just completely baffling shot selections which frankly beggared belief you know when you consider what was at stake a world final the chance to win his sixth world title I think he match. said go
1: go figure at one point uh, uh, I know, thought Neil was going to fall off his chair when he went uh,
0: I mean it's very difficult let, let's be honest in the cold light of day to actually make any sense of one or two of the shots that O'Sullivan played with so much at stake with the chance to move to within one of Stephen Hendry's all-time record and Ty Reardon and Davis I mean how do you explain that but then equally Having done what he did, how can you then get your head around three absolutely magnificent frames from him, which
2: I don't think any other player ever to pick up a cue could have could have achieved. No. It was mind-blowing. The frame 30 where he was 15-14 up, Selby, and Ronnie could have won that. It was on the colours. You think this, he's got to win this frame. But what he did at the end when um, he, he, could have, he was six behind on, on the pink and he could have he could hit a, maybe an eighth of the pink, Certainly enough for these guys that are going to hit. And I said in commentary, he can afford to miss this altogether once, which means he'd been 12 behind, but then he's got to play the same shot again. right? That's just something snooker players do. You know you can miss once as long as you can still win, especially on the pink and black. But then the second shot he played it was just the most ridiculous shot I've ever seen O'Sullivan or anyone play at that stage. He, he decided to have a, a just a whack at it off the cushion. Didn't even try and hit it. And I just was annoyed, really, for the game and for him more so.
1: You sounded annoyed. I think you well, sounded, I'm, you I'm sounded got... shocked as well.
2: Well, yeah. I mean, after, afterwards, I mean, you know, Ronnie seemed to go on about the misrule, but he could see it. He, he, he wasted a frame there, but you know, all I can say about that, and it goes goes back to the having the method in his madness. Maybe he just felt under pressure and the, that release of shackles a bit, and then all of a sudden, you know, uh, he came out a different player. Sometimes you need all that.
1: Well, let's hear from Ronnie now and how he felt going into that final session.
2: To be honest,
4: I'm just looking for a cue action. I've been here for 15 okay. days. I was hitting the ball OK in practice, and I thought, yeah, it's not bad to go to Sheffield without, but I must have had about 20 different cue actions in that match. Yeah. But I just got a bit nearer the ball, so it was, I felt a little bit closer to the ball. I felt a bit more in contact with them. And then that lasted for about two and a half, three frames, and it started to disappear again, so I'm going to have to try and cue action number 728 tomorrow. <laughs> I am aware that every time you stand opposite me, I'm standing opposite a true sporting genius. Not a sporting great, mm-hmm. and it often comes with the word flawed. So you go from just thinking you will never see better snicker in your life to moments of pure frustration is three or I four, know. you're just smashed. I, I know, but what I'm saying is this so, misrule is just such so unfair. So now if I'm snookered, yeah. I'm just going to just smash him all over the calf. Right. <laughs> Let's just try and get a fluke, let him clear up and just get on with the next one because it's, it's just painful having the ref put it all back and this and that. You're like, oh, I ain't got time for that, man.
1: Well, Mark Selby is back, but not to be for today and no surprise, he was very disappointed.
5: Gutted, mate, you know, obviously like any match you lose in the World Championships, no matter what round, it's gutting because obviously it only comes round once a year and you, you want to do well. Obviously come so close, you know, I mean, last three frames, I didn't really do that much wrong. Obviously I had a chance, but I was 60 behind, done well to get back in the frame, felt as though I played some really good safety shots, had Ronnie in trouble and every time he hit it, he sort of got away with it. So just one game, you know, it just wasn't meant to be today.
3: You mentioned in another interview about some of the shots that he was playing, and you probably weren't too happy with the way he was applying himself at that point. Can you expand on that a little bit?
5: Yeah, it just felt like obviously it was a bit disrespectful to me and the game. You know, obviously, like if you're playing anybody else, there's not many players who will just get down and just hit them hundred mile an hour when you put them in a snooker. Sometimes they'll try and work it out and try and play safe or try and get you in trouble back. But uh, he just felt as though he was doing that for, throughout the match, really. So. Just thought it was a little bit disrespectful to me and the game, but, I mean, I don't know, you'll have to ask Ronnie himself.
1: Listen, I'm sure the dust will settle. He might have another think about it, but, you know, post-match, losing interviews, a lot can be said at times.
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, what that interview betrayed was Selby's desperate disappointment at a match that I think for a long time he's going to be scratching his head wondering how on earth he didn't win it because, let's face it, for the lion's share of it, he looked the better player. After the first session, you know, he came out and won four straight frames and after that... He always seemed in control right up until the death, really. You felt as though he must win this because O'Sullivan was doing some ludicrous things. Selby had been more solid. But I think, actually, when the dust settles, he'll reflect on the penultimate session, this morning's session, because he had O'Sullivan down and out. O'Sullivan was ready to go. He was really teetering on the brink. He had him at thirteen nine, and he could have won... Both of those final frames of the session, if he wins even one of them, it's a very long way to go. Ronnie was definitely
1: on the ropes. You know,
0: and and 14 10 down, would Ronnie really have fancied it at all tonight? Probably not. But he somehow, somehow, some way won the last two. And of course, that just gave him that opportunity. Selby had a number of occasions where he could have delivered the knockout blow. He just couldn't quite do it. And ultimately, it's cost him.
2: I mean, I always um, forgive any player after a match, you know that, who who says things he maybe wouldn't say afterwards uh, because they might get thrust underneath their nose and they're not quite ready for the interview, you know? I've I've been there myself on my playing day. He's still angry about the game. But Mark is wrong about one thing, disrespecting him. You know, you can play whatever shot you like out there. I mean, I I saw a match in an event where... Without going into the two players, one of the players rolled into the pack from behind off the break and the other player didn't like it. But you can play what shot you like. It's it's up to you what you do. You don't have to play the shots that suit your opponent. So Mark's got that wrong. But if Mark wasn't gutted about losing, he wouldn't be the player he is. And I tell you what, he's back. As as Jimmy White said, he's back. So uh, if you can build on this then he's got more world titles in him. And I didn't, wasn't sure about that until I saw him this week. I, I've changed my opinion on, on Selby. I think he's back.
1: Yeah, brilliant to see him back. And I guess uh, frustration creeping in as well. You know, even in Ronnie's interview after this, is just smashing them all over the gaff. So I, I, I can, you can kind of see a little bit why, why Mark might have just brought that frustration to, to his yeah, interview. But, I
0: mean, the other thing to say is that every time O'Sullivan did that, he came off second best. You know, I mean, he was hitting and hoping, but there was no hope. I mean, you know, he left Selby a chance to win the frame on each occasion. The only time when he got away with it was in the last frame when when he powered the white round the angles to get out of a snooker. And he actually left Selby in a snooker and Selby then laid a snooker on O'Sullivan. So actually, ultimately, it didn't cost Selby. I think Jimmy White, in the post-match analysis was correct. Listen, if your opponent starts playing that way, who's won? You know, who's won the psychological battle? That shows you've got to them. That shows that they don't actually fancy it. They don't fancy mixing it with you in the safety department. They'd rather just have a thrash and hope for the best. So... Actually, if I was Mark Selby, I wouldn't see that as disrespect. I would see that as O'Sullivan saying, you're too good for me in that department. I can't live with you there. What I can do is make unbelievable breaks and and try and get in and win that way. So it was actually, if you think about it, a backhanded compliment, not disrespect.
2: I think the the last thing I'll say about O'Sullivan right now is that he's, he's been there a long time. Don't forget he was UK champion at age 17. Here he is now in his 45th year. He's seen too much To go under the bridge now, he he can't win normally. He's got to win quirky or lose quirky. He's at the point of his life where he says what he thinks. Some of the stuff I'd never agree with. Some of the things I do, you know. What he said the other day about the amateur players, you know, he kept on going back for more and saying how they were no good, basically. But he's got the point now where if if people don't like what he is or what he says, he doesn't care. And there's a part of me that respects that because we'd all like to be like that, wouldn't we? You know, you get on in years, you think, well, I just want to say this how I see it. And he can't he can't win normal now; he has to win quirky or lose. And that's him, you know. And that's where he is with his snooker. And there's there's something quite liberating about it, you know. Even though there are times when. He can be incredibly infuriating, but tonight was just the most pulsating comeback I think I've seen for a long, long time.
1: Yeah, it was just a joy to be part of it, to, to watch it, to enjoy Ronnie's brilliance and, as you say, the quirks, the, the recklessness and, and all of that. Interesting to find out, of course, what Ronnie will turn up for the final. He plays Kyron Wilson and despite the relative shell shock of that final frame against Anthony McGill in the semi-final, he says he's 100% confident going into the final.
3: You know, my game is in such good shape. I feel so good. You know, you can't help but get a little bit tense in a moment like that. But trust me, I'll, I'll be back. I'll be giving it my all for the next few days. You know, I've, I've dreamt of this moment. I won't be letting it slip. Well, of course, he's dreamt
1: of this moment. He's finally made it to the final at the Crucible. He plays Ronnie O'Sullivan. Is this the best chance that Ronnie O'Sullivan's ever going to have to win another world title? Or is, 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 who's favoured, first of all?
2: Well, Ronnie's definitely favourite with the bookmakers. The sponsors make him long odds on to win, I think. Yeah, I, this could be Ronnie's last hurrah, you know. It really could. Uh, people thought they'd never see the day. And, of course, I got absolute pelters at one of the home nations when Coral, uh, Ronnie didn't qualify for the Coral Series on the one-year list, all these big, huge ranking events coming up that he didn't play in that, that went by before the Worlds. And said, so, you know what, if he doesn't get through in any of those in a roundabout way, he might win the world this year because he's going to go there fresh. Obviously, we didn't know about a pandemic coming along and all that, so he was extremely fresh. But people were saying to me, how dare you? Ronnie's finished, you know. I was, well, I don't... I, he's the best player I've ever seen. And he's still got it. He's still got it. He's just a little bit quirky in the head. And, uh, you know, I, I mean that in the nicest possible way, you know. And I, I just think that He's still the player he was, and he's on about no cue action, all this nonsense. Tonight he queued like a dream. And the, I think it was the last frame, he put a long straight red that the best man that ever lived would be pleased with. So, you know, he's playing mind games with everyone, including himself, I think.
1: I think he said he'd about 20 different uh, cue actions in that match. But uh, yes, he was. Uh... Talking about playing Kyron Wilson and obviously he's saying about his age and, you know, he's old enough to be his, his granddad and every and everything.
2: Just to say about that 20 different cue actions, trust me, that is not a new thing. Every, every snooker player has had that. I had 20 cue actions on the go in the match. And Stephen Hendry, towards the end of his career, was saying the same. You're just trying out everything. You know, if one doesn't work, you go to another one. And you just find something that works for you on the day, and that is actually not—that's not only Ronnie that can say that. It's been said before
1: on a previous uh, podcast. Joe Johnson said that you need the uh, the tools in the head, which um, which always helpful uh, to go on and win a, a world title. And he thought that Kyron Wilson was that player. And there's a couple of matches that stand out. You know, even looking at this season with uh, Ronnie O'Sullivan and Kyron Wilson, the Shanghai Masters, where he had a terrific opportunity to beat Ronnie, came back. He must have been 5-1, 5-2 up in the match. Ronnie came back and and beat him. But Kyron then got revenge in Wales, the semi-final, the the Welsh Open. Another real close match. But, you know, I don't think Kyron is going to be fearing Ronnie.
0: No, he won't fear him. He has beaten him, and that's important because you have to know that you are capable of of getting the better of, of your opponent. But the World Championship final is a completely different beast, isn't it, to anything else? We're talking about 35 frames, first to 18. My, my gut feeling is that O'Sullivan will have too many guns over the four sessions if he plays anything like he has been playing and you know minimises the lunacy that we've seen from time to time, particularly today. My feeling is that he'll probably have too much for Kyron. But listen, I don't think there'd be a more popular winner than Karen Wilson because he is such a likeable lad. He's got a lovely family. He's had one or two issues to contend with off the table that he's alluded to here on Eurosport during the tournament. I know his wife has been a bit poorly... And there have been one or two other things that have been going on. And actually, I think during lockdown, he's got a greater perspective about the game. And he can now see that, yes, it's his livelihood. It's the thing he loves. It's his passion. But it's not the most important thing in his life. And maybe that's just taken a little bit of the pressure off him and allowed him to express himself a little bit more. If he can beat Ronnie O'Sullivan over 35 frames, then he'll certainly have deserved it. Because as we've seen, O'Sullivan is still in his 45th year, capable of
2: playing snooker that no one else can. I've got one more match that they played in, which was a massive game of snooker, the champion of champions final, which Kyron should have won. Ronnie played a strange shot in that. He, he played mentioned
1: it, it tonight, Kyron, didn't he? How he ridiculous so back unlucky double. in
2: that. Yeah, yeah, Ronnie did this thing that, that, that if you were Marcus of, you might have said it was disrespecting the game. He went for a back double. It was either in the last frame. I think it was at 9-8, Kyron... And he got away with it, snookered him back and then made a big century in the last. So you just get the feeling that, um, you know, with Ronnie now, that that's in there somewhere. And in the final, there'll be a few shots as well, which are either going to release all the tensions or what. I mean, I agree that he's favourite to win. But I think what we can say about this tournament is that he's not out of the question that Kyron could win it, you know, and, and may the best man win. I think snooker wins. I really do think that because we, we're either going to get a six times champion or a new champion. What more could you ask for?
0: The other meeting that really springs to mind is the 2017 English Open final when O'Sullivan produced one of the most complete performances we've ever seen. He missed, I think, five live balls in the whole day and he won 9-2. He was unplayable that day in the way that he was unplayable in the last three frames against Selby, by and large. So we know that O'Sullivan is capable of producing snooker that no one else can really Live with. Do head-to-heads
1: head go out the window then in a world yeah, final? Yeah, I
0: think so, because it's just such a different match than any other that they play before, isn't it? In terms of its length, what it means, it's the most important tournament in the world. You know, Kyron is desperate to win it. He was very emotional when he lost the Masters final, as Neil has said, to Mark Allen. He's still... Loses sleep over that he would love to be a triple crown champion, and of course he would love to be a world champion, but there 's pressure on O 'Sullivan as well because listen, he can 't always play this well, you know one day o'Sullivan's going to wake up, and he won 't be able to play the way he can anymore, just the way that Stephen Hendry woke up one day and was no longer the player he was, you know, and how it's many more chances day for has all he got of us, won't it? so
2: you know you've got to grasp the nettle while you can, and this this is a great opportunity for both of them yeah, and there's one more thing i 'll say about this final right one thing you know. Given that match you mentioned, the English Open final, Ronnie knows he can beat Kyron because he's beaten him before, so he knows it. Does Kyron Wilson think he can beat Ronnie O'Sullivan over 35 frames? Is he going to say it, or does he really think it? I don't know. I, I hope the answer is yes, but there has to be someone in the back of his mind thinking, I didn't really want to play him in the final. He, you know, He gave me a couple of absolute uh, hidings, albeit some close matches in between. He's got to believe he can beat O'Sullivan. And uh, because if he doesn't, he won't. And that's that.
1: Well, as we've seen throughout the championship, so many stories. And not only do we have a scintillating final ahead of us, but we also have that fantastic news, don't we? That fans will be inside the Crucible to watch the final. The British government's Roadmap to Recovery plan will resume this weekend after pausing for two weeks, which means we'll have 300 fans for all sessions. Brilliant for all of us, including Jason Ferguson. I've been chatting with the chairman of the World Professional Billiards and Snooker Association and began by congratulating his team and him on what has been, even without the usual number of spectators, a wonderful world championship.
6: Yeah, thank you, Rachel. Great to be here. And it has been a fantastic tournament and it's had its ups and downs both on the table and off the table. Day one, small audience in there for the first time. Everybody very upbeat, being under a lot of pressure, the team to actually make that happen. And a few changes along the way. So uh, it's great to find out that we're actually going back into that for a major final.
1: Well, it's 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 amazing, actually, isn't it? And I think it's taken a lot of people by surprise. You know the fact that we end as we start, and rightly so, with the inclusion of our adoring snooker fans. Goodness knows they deserve it. The players deserve it. But as I said, it did take us a little bit by surprise. We're kind of giving up on the idea.
6: Yeah, I mean, you know, the team has worked, you know, incredibly hard, and you know. Full compliments to you know, first of all, the matchroom sport team that we're working on the smaller events leading up to this, but also you know, our team here at World Snook, our operations team, they've been under so much pressure, as I've said, they've been every day working on the processes and procedures. and cleaning the environment and really making the place as safe and as, you know, as we possibly could to make it happen. So we were all excited to, to get people in and there was nobody more excited than obviously the fans that are, that, that are watching snooker. And, uh, and it was great to see the smiles on people's faces again after what's been a very difficult time. So yeah, when it, when it finally happened and we, we went back into this um, uh, no-crowd environment, it was a little bit of a downer for the team. I have to say, they've got back up like any sportsman, sports people will. They'll will get back up, they'll dust themselves down and get back on with it. And that's what they've done. The government themselves were here on those early days. They said that it was exemplary what was done. Uh, they were very happy with what we were doing. And it, it's been monitored daily. And here we are again we're actually going back into that final and we'll see the smiles on our fans' faces.
1: (laughs) Well, it's great that we're given that opportunity because I feel that, you know, as a pilot, it wasn't exactly tested, you know, one day in and then suddenly that's it, the plug has been pulled. Do you think there's a lot riding on the, the success of this pilot, you know, the world and other sporting boards looking on?
6: Of course, I mean, if we look at the you know uh, long term the view of what sport is like i mean we 've always been used to you know sell as many tickets as you can, build big venues and not just us but all sports and, and some sports much bigger than us in terms of their capacity so a lot is riding on this, and what we are trying to do is work with the government and, and actually demonstrate the processes that we think um, can be laid out in sport in general and we were absolutely honored to be that test event and you know full credit to the uh, government sports minister the dcms for actually working with us alongside that you know and and like i say i'm very very proud of the team very proud of world snooker you know we've actually done it and we've actually got here
1: yeah absolutely credit to, to all of you guys and all sessions sold out jason the desire to watch live snooker is still very much there what about going forward how important is it for the game that we get fans back for the rest of the season well, well, of course,
6: I mean, uh, major events rely on, on ticket sales, they rely on sponsorship, they rely on major television, and, and they rely on all these things put together to make them a success. So, you know, the absence of an audience and the absence of ticket sales certainly is going to have an effect on, all, on, on not just our sport, but, but all sports. So it is absolutely critical that we get this ride for sport going forward, but it's critical that we put safety first and we actually do this uh, as safe as it possibly can be done. We will go over and above what the base guidelines are and we will keep working at it. So, you know, I just hope we can do this for all sport.
1: Oh, we're all keeping everything crossed, aren't we? And, and just, you know, you, you've you given the team a huge amount of credit. Um, I'm just quite interested, you know, what would the, were the bigger obstacles? Obviously, staging the qualifiers, that seemed like it would always be a bit of a a difficult situation, but it was brilliantly worked out.
6: Yes, and I think, you know, the team, at I say, had, had sort of come together to actually produce some... So we're saying slightly smaller events, but without an audience in a, in a very secure bubble environment. And we've kind of emerged from that really secure bubble to something that has allowed us to operate, but still operate as safely as possible. So the qualifiers have been a huge success as usual. I mean, the, the people I feel sorry for is the players, guests, players, mums and dads. We've had to be so strict. We, we, we've had players only in there. People haven't been able to watch like they would normally do. And that, that's disappointing because, you know, I know as a, as a former SNUCA player to have that local support with you is a, is a major thing. And, uh, particularly those people that have supported you over the years, but it, it worked. We got through it, and uh, you know we still had our judgment day. All be a little bit different.
1: Oh, it was brilliant. It was brilliant, and you know the fact that you know your sport viewers were to enjoy every match, every ball, right down to the last match. It was it was it was terrific viewing, actually. And you know, obviously. The World Championship 2020, it's been a huge struggle, a lot of difficulties, but a a massive success. How is the new season looking and are we likely to see events back on the road?
6: Well, amazingly, it is actually coming together. Like like I say, the operations team we have, they've been working extremely hard on producing a new calendar. We're expecting the 13th of September, we'll be out, we'll start to produce events again live on television. We're quite excited. We've laid a path out of producing UK-based events in very what I would say, uh, safe as possible environments to keep all of our players busy and to keep the sport live on television. Because we know the millions of people that are watching. There's a real demand for it. So we, we will be busy right up until around the 20th of December, believe it or not. Mm. Uh, we've had yeah. to play around with the calendar. You know, usually we'd be traveling this time of year. We, we've had to look at that and really take stock of the situation. We've moved a lot of events forward. We've pulled a lot of events back. And and again, thanks to our broadcasters and partners that, that have worked with us on that to allow us to do it.
1: And the saving grace is that snooker is absolutely perfect on television, isn't it? It's a great sport to be watching. And, you know, fans all over the world have not missed out on what has been an epic tournament. Jason, congratulations and thanks for joining us.
6: Thank you very much indeed.
1: Fans back for the final, sort of something that, came as a bit of a surprise. Uh, we kind of given up on the idea I certainly had anyway. What, what about you guys?
0: No, I mean, it's terrific, isn't it? I mean, uh, this tournament is such a shame, isn't it, that there haven't been fans in throughout because it's been one of the most memorable tournaments, you know, for quite some time. And not just because of what happened on the final day of the semifinals. You know, we've had some terrific tales. We've had some shock wins. We've had qualifiers excelling. We've had final frame deciders. We've had a bit of needle you know you name it we've had it we've had a very high quality of snooker and the drama has not really let up from day 1 all the way through to day 15 and now we've got the final to look forward to as well so it is great it's it's the icing on the cake of what i think has been a truly memorable world championship for all the right reasons to actually have an audience to appreciate the final. And that's got to be a boost for the players as well. How, I know different, Ronnie O'Sullivan...
1: how different do you think it will be for the players? You know,
0: Well, I mean, you know, we know that O'Sullivan initially was very sceptical about the wisdom of allowing a crowd in. But equally, we know that Ronnie says an awful lot of things, some of which are sensible and salient and others which aren't. And let's face it, he is the ultimate entertainer, isn't he? I mean, he, he is born to play in front of a crowd because of the way he plays. He loves to play a brand of snooker that, that, that you know, the crowd love to watch, so well, bring... why wouldn't he want to play in front of an audience? I'll bring
1: Neela in on this, because I think it's quite interesting to get your take on it, because you you would expect that the fact that he does play this brand of of snooker, he's just such an entertainer. There have been so many people throughout this championship, you know, whether you're on social media or reading articles in the paper, they're saying, this scenario will suit Ronnie O'Sullivan. No fans, nobody in the arena, no, no pressure.
2: Maybe, but without fans, you haven't got a sport, have you? I mean, and I understand that For recent months, it's pretty obvious why there's been no fans. We all don't have to be reminded of that. But, you know, Ronnie has said, he almost said, well, you know, I like the situation of no fans. Well, I don't care who you are. You could be, he likes to compare himself with other great sportsmen, you know, and other sports, the Roger Federer's of this world and the Tiger Woods. They're nobody without the fans either. So he has to remember that, Ronnie. These people are important to their sport. Nothing can really survive forever without fans. And I hope that snooker does get them back and... Listen, it's a nice way of of getting things back going for snooker and other sports. And snooker, again, is one of the first sports to get fans in applauding, not canned applause anymore, the real thing. And uh, I hope we can all build on this. You know, I mean, we all love sport, but I hate seeing empty stadiums. I'm getting too used to it. So any fans in there, and there are some people that, that it's an annual pilgrimage to go to the World Championships, and they've had a little bit of a reprieve for a couple of days. And they've got a final feature in O'Sullivan. Uh, it doesn't get any better against, you know, Kyron Wilson. So I hope they have a fantastic time, all of them. Yeah, and let's not forget,
0: was it when he won his record-breaking seventh UK title, he actually got in with the crowd, didn't he? And he was taking selfies at the end of the match. I mean, you know, I mean, he loves being the centre of attention, O'Sullivan. That's, that's what he's all about. And so I can't believe that he won't relish the idea of playing in front of an audience. You know, I mean, that's what he was
2: born to do.
1: A final question for you both. In 20 years' time, what do you think will be your most enduring memory of this extraordinary day?
2: Well, I think today's, uh, the the, the conclusion of the semi-final is the greatest ever day in crucible history. And I don't even think it's close. I mean, people can say, hang on, what about this? Well, hang on, what were these matches? The world final, it's like we had two world finals on the same day. And undoubtedly, uh, in all the years, and I've watched every one of them, Today was the the, the best day. And uh, uh, whatever happens in the final, I'll never forget all this. It's been incredible, actually. And the tournament's been great, but nothing caps today.
0: Without a shadow of a doubt, the most extraordinary day of snooker ever at the Crucible. Whether it's the best day or not, well, maybe you can debate that. But in terms of how much happened, you know, the extraordinary twists and turns in the final frame between McGill and Wilson, and then Ronnie O'Sullivan's ability to go from whacking a ball seemingly not caring whether he won or lost to playing three almost perfect frames with snooker that virtually no one else could even dream of playing. I think they're my two most abiding
2: memories. Yeah, I think I put a tweet out earlier. The snooker gods are playing games with us. There's nothing we can do about it. It was out of our hands today.
1: Guys, thank you so much and well done. Amazing commentary and uh, we really enjoyed uh, all of the the action on Eurosport. That's it for now. We'll have another edition of The Break for you Saturday night and that'll be ready as soon as possible once the evening session of the final is over. And if you've been enjoying the podcast during the World Championship and you want more please subscribe rate and review on whichever app or website you listen through don't forget it's eurosport and eurosport.co.uk for all the live coverage of the world snooker championship final and we'll all be back tomorrow but for now from phil neil and myself cheerio
0: bye for now goodbye